Good afternoon, Metro Augusta. This is Janice Allen Jackson welcoming you to the November 4th edition of Local Matters, a show designed to make you a more confident voter and a more engaged citizen. As always, today's show is brought to you by my firm, Janice Allen Jackson and Associates. You can learn more about the services that we provide on my website. That is JaniceAllenJackson.Weebly.com. Also there, you will find uh, links to all of the shows that I have done uh, since March. Well, if you're like me and like many of us in the country, uh, last night, your eyes were glued to the television. Uh, I alternated between two uh, national networks in MSNBC and CBS to see what was happening nationwide. Uh, I also had my computer on. I was sitting there with it in front of me all evening because I wanted to see how the results were coming in for the local and state races. The best source for local races is AugustaGA.gov. If you go directly to the website of Augusta, Georgia, on the first page there, uh, there will be the election results. So it makes it easier to just click there and you can go in and you can analyze precinct by precinct what is going on. You can see what happened in your particular area uh, for each individual race. So there's very good data there. And of course, it is directly from the horse's mouth. So that's why uh, I like to go there. Likewise, to look at the statewide races and races for various state offices, I had one tab open for the Georgia Secretary of State's website to see those results. So between uh, four sources, basically, and of course, there are any number of them. You've got all those other networks and uh, you've got uh, everybody's um, coverage. Uh, everybody's talking about races. You can find information anyway, but anywhere, but those are the ones that I prefer. So, and you can get there once you get familiar with it, you can on the Secretary of State's web website, you can actually save your favorite races. So it makes it easier to get back to those. Um, so that's just my best and authoritative sources for information about elections. Of course, the very first number that I looked for was the turnout. Um, when we covered the uh, local races back in uh, June and the runoff in August, uh, one of the things that I focused on was how low the turnout was. I think District 3 had the highest turnout of any district in Richmond County uh, when we were voting for commission seats and some of the other local seats like Sheriff, Marshall, Coroner, etc. Um, and its turnout was a little shy of 40%. This time around, completely different story in a good way. The total turnout in Richmond County was 64.64%, uh, which is something to be proud of. I wasn't able to do any research on this, but I would not be surprised if that is not the highest voter turnout in decades here in Richmond County. I mean, that is that is really excellent. And you still think about that now. If 64% of registered voters did cast a ballot, 
that means that another 35% did not, uh, which sounds like a lot. Uh, obviously, it could be better, but compared to where we have been, uh, that 64.6% .6 is a very significant number. I would like to attribute some of that to the numerous get out the vote efforts. If you all have heard that uh, acronym, G-O-T-V, get out the vote. Um, there were all sorts of get out the vote efforts taking place. Um, they went from phone banking, uh, as in people would uh, sit in the room and make a few hours worth of calls every day to remind people to get out to vote. Uh, where the early voting sites were um, and uh, what you need to bring with you, all those sorts of things to make sure that uh, you can indeed exercise your right to vote. Uh, there were door-to-door -door canvassing efforts, uh, folks uh, walking door-to-door, -door, hanging out uh, the uh, hangers on doorknobs. Uh, there were pure canvassing efforts where you had people who would not only give you some literature, but they would also talk to you about whether you were planning to vote, whether you were leaning Republican or Democratic. Uh, there were lots of um, efforts to uh, make sure that folks knew when to vote, how to vote, where to vote, et cetera, et cetera. And they called it GOTV, getting out to vote. Finally, there were also people, organizations that were offering rides to the polls. Uh, we had a lot of vans in town with the goal of making sure that uh, if anybody lacked transportation, that they could still get to the polls. Uh, the city of Augusta actually offered free transit rides on Election Day. Uh, so there were numerous efforts geared toward ensuring that if you wanted to vote, that you could. And if you weren't sure if you're going to vote, people who were trying to persuade you to do so. Uh, there are various organizations that were at work. And, and here I know all of us were complaining about how much political mail we were receiving, how many phone calls and text messages and things like that. Uh, now it's gotten down to a science where they can figure out if you haven't voted, they can figure out uh, where, uh, uh, how to reach you via text message. Say, hey, that person hadn't voted yet. Let's send them a text message to remind them to go ahead and get out. Also, I noticed that there were a lot of efforts geared toward getting young people to turn out. Um, my kids, who, of course, young adults, college age uh, kids, they received a ton of mail at the house uh, from various sources, uh, reminding them to vote and, and the steps that they needed to take to get prepared. Um, there are organizations like Black Voters Matter, the Black Progressive Action Coalition. Uh, those uh, organizations were definitely uh, working to get people to vote. Uh, the difference is Black Voters Matter, of course, does not tell you who to vote for. Progressive groups like the Black Progressive Action Coalition do um, because uh, they have status such that uh, they can accept donations and um, get money out uh, to uh, canvas for particular candidates. So we had all of those efforts taking place that resulted in a significantly higher turnout in Richmond County that, than we otherwise would have expected. And that is the good news. As we get into the various races, uh, you know, on this show over the last several weeks, uh, I started off with the candidates for district attorney and then I went through 
each one of the school board races that was on the ballot this time around. Uh, there were four of those districts, excuse me, five of those districts, one, four, five, eight, and Super District 10. Uh, what we found out is that in all of the districts where there was an incumbent running, the incumbent won pretty handily. Uh, there was one seat, which happens to be my district, District 1, where there was not an incumbent running. Uh, Mr. Marion Barnes, after 20 years or so on the school board, decided not to run again, which freed up, frees up a seat. Um, there were started off with two contestants in that race, uh, ended with, uh, excuse me, started off with three, ended with two. Uh, and Shonda Griffin uh, won that seat with 52 percent of the vote over uh, coach uh, Brian Green. Uh, it just so happens that Miss Griffin, like myself and our commissioner elect Jordan Johnson, all vote at the Eastview Community Center, which is Precinct 104. Uh, I'm not quite sure what this means. It may mean the establishment of some type of power base in East Augusta, which of course I will not object to, uh, but very interesting that our commissioner-elect and our school board representative uh, live uh, within walking distance of each other. Um, hopefully that means that there will be some needed attention also paid to uh, our area. Uh, you may recall that Miss Griffin came in fourth earlier this year when she ran for the District 1 uh, commission seat. Um, so she turned a fourth place finish in a race for the Augusta Commission into a first place finish for the Richmond County Board of Education. Uh, total turnout in District 1 was slightly less well, somewhat less, skip it less actually than Richmond County's overall turnout. Richmond County, as I indicated earlier, 64% turnout. Uh, total turnout in District 1 was 55.6%. Um, with that, uh, it took 40, she received 4,160 votes, uh, which was 378 more votes than her opponent. Total votes cast in District 1 for school board race were 9,098 votes. So one of the things that I also noticed was that there was very little campaign activity in my area. Um, I, I take it that neither one of these candidates received uh, a lot of donations. I think I received one postcard from uh, Mr. Uh, Green. Um, saw a few signs for him, saw a few signs for her, uh, but this was a candidate, a campaign that was run on a very low budget fashion, just didn't have a lot of money to spend on signs and mailings and those sorts of things. Uh, I also took note that in this, in my precinct, for instance, that fewer people voted in the school board race and voted in the presidential race, which I guess is no surprise because the presidential race was what was supposed to be driving people um, to the polls. Um, and also, you have to note that even though there was a 64% turnout, there were almost 7,000 registered voters just in District 1 that, that chose not to participate in this election. Moving on to District 4, uh, incumbent Dr. Wayne Frazier beat two challengers. He was able to secure 53% of the vote. Uh, District 4 also had an extremely high turnout. In fact, their turnout actually beat the countywide turnout with 67% of their folks getting out to the polls. Uh, he got uh, 5,000 votes. 
Uh, and it's just hard to beat an incumbent, especially one with a profile as high as Dr. Frazier's. You think about somebody who is a former educator, long term, had been a principal. Um, his wife is a state legislator, so the name Frazier resonates with people. Um, and as I recall, if I'm correct, he is the only person to beat an incumbent school board member since I returned to Augusta in 2014. At that time, in 2016, he defeated, uh, defeated another former educator who was uh, Barbara Pulliam. Um, also in this race, even though they had 67% uh, turnout, there were almost 5,000 uh, registered voters who chose not to vote. Moving on to District 5, very similar story. Uh, Ms. Patsy Scott also had two challengers. Uh, but she was able to command 54.69% of the vote. Uh, Ms. Scott had done an excellent uh, fundraising campaign. Uh, I think she likely raised uh, more money than any of the other single district candidates, which is to say districts uh, 1, 4, 5, and 8 of those districts, uh, i.e. not the super districts. I think she had the highest fundraising total of any of those, probably around $12,000 uh, for a solid victory in that race. Uh, District 8, similar story. Jimmy Atkins, incumbent, uh, got over 61% of the votes, and he, he actually got over 6,000 votes. Uh, he was the only one of the school board members uh, running from a single district as opposed to a super district that got over 6,000 votes. Um, so that tells you that the magic number really to try to win a school board race, if you're interested in doing that, is about 5,000 votes. Uh, if you've got that uh, in a heavy turnout year like this, uh, that's uh, about what it takes to win. And of course, uh, Atkins was substantially over that. Uh, we move on to Super District 10, uh, which is comprised of districts uh, 3, 6, 7, and 8. Uh, you put those together, and um, Helen Minshew, again, was the easy winner. She got 55% of the vote or over 22,000 votes. Um, she defeated uh, Lori Miles, who got about 27% of the vote, and Christopher Mullins, who got almost 18% of the vote. So uh, all of the incumbents win. It is extraordinarily tough to beat an incumbent uh, running for a school board race. Incumbents are tough to beat, period, but in particular the school board, I think that's why you see the same people over and over again winning those races. Um, you, you have veteran members in each one of those seats now with the exception of Ms. Chanda Griffin who will be representing District 1. Also of note, as we have followed on this show, the number of women who are elected to office. Right now, our school board has three women, Venus Kane, Patsy Scott, and Helen Minchu. Now you add Ms. Griffin to that, so there will actually be four uh, women on the school board, on the Richmond County Board of Education. Uh, six men, of course, but getting closer uh, to a 50-50, uh, which hopefully will translate into policy outcomes that are uh, beneficial to our community by having uh, a, a additional representation from women there. Uh, also, on a previous show, we talked about the education sales and use tax. It actually passed uh, with 80% approval, uh, which uh, is a strong vote of confidence for that. 
next, we'll move on to our state house districts. Uh, every uh, state uh, house district representative was unopposed. Um, you know, there are five districts in portions, representing portions of Richmond County that form our legislative delegation. Uh, in terms of representation, diversity of representation, um, two women uh, there, Sheila Clark Nelson in District 125 and Gloria Frazier in District 126. Um, they were reelected without opposition, just like the rest of their colleagues in our uh, delegation. Uh, so two of those five districts will continue to be represented by women. Uh, in the Senate delegation, Georgia State Senate, District 23, we had one woman running on the Democratic ten, uh, ticket who was Miss Soretta Smith. Unfortunately, she lost to the Republican uh, there, uh, Max Burns, just because largely that's just a heavily Republican district. It touches on some portions of Richmond County, but a lot of it is in Burke and some in Columbia. And I think it also goes a little bit further uh, south than that. It may pick up some Screven. County or Jenkins County too. So uh, that district would be a little tough for a Democrat, would be a little tough for an African-American. Uh, Ms. Smith ran a good race, but unfortunately was not able to beat Mr. Burns. And of course, he also has high name recognition after having been a former uh, congressman. Uh, and also, I think, was president of uh, Gordon State Community College at one time. So he's somebody that's been around local uh, state politics for a long, long time. Uh, the most exciting race of the evening for us in Columbia, Richmond, and Burke counties is the district attorney's race. Um, these uh, candidates were actually the first ones that I featured when I started doing election coverage for this election cycle. Um, at 12.25 a.m., I checked and uh, Jared Williams was up. Uh, with 52% of the vote, but it was clear at that point that all of the ballots had not been counted. Uh, by 1.55 a.m., uh, that lead had dropped from 52%. They were roughly 50-50, um, but he was up by about 1,682 votes at that time. Uh, as of the time of this recording, the uh, vote counting has not resumed. Uh, it should be that uh, once those uh, counts resume. I understand Columbia County in particular is what is out now. Supposedly Richmond County is 100% counted. I believe Burke County supposedly is 100% counted. So we're waiting for results from Columbia County because you've got to remember he's this position is not district attorney for Augusta. It is district attorney for the Augusta circuit, uh, which, which is a three county uh, circuit. Uh, this was a very interesting race. I knew that it would be close based upon the endorsements, based upon the fundraising, etc. cetera. Uh, if you look at the sheriffs in the area, uh, Richmond County Sheriff Richard Roundtree had endorsed Jarrett Williams as the challenger. Uh, Columbia County Sheriff Clay Whittle and Burke County Sheriff Alfonso Williams both endorsed Natalie Payne, while former Burke County Sheriff, Sheriff Greg Corsi endorsed Jarrett Williams. So which is to say there was mixed feelings in the law enforcement community about who might be best for us. And um, that resulted in a close race. Another thing that was a, a leading indicator that this would be close is that 
uh, Jared Williams as a Democrat had actually outraised Natalie Payne as of the last reporting period, which was a while back. It'll be interesting to see what those final numbers are. Uh, but Jared Williams had raised over $80,000. Natalie Payne had raised over $71,000. And she was at somewhat of a disadvantage because she had to spend some money in the primary. She had a Republican challenger that she had to fend off back in June. And um, then, of course, uh, use her resources to also uh, run a, a tough race during the uh, general election in November. Miss um, Payne actually was appointed, if you did not know, appointed by Governor Deal at first uh, to fill an unexpired term of Ashley Wright, who went up to Superior Court. Uh, uh, Miss Payne ran unopposed actually in 2018, so she went from gubernatorial appointment to unopposed in 2018 uh, to what has now become an extremely close race. Uh, some things to note about her is that she also received uh, a strong endorsement from Governor T Kemp, which in this circuit uh, really uh, probably turned some people off uh, that may have sounded too right wing for the Augusta circuit. Certainly there's some people who appreciated that. There were some who did not appreciate that. So that one cuts both ways. Uh, the message that Williams used came across as logical, but not radical. Uh, he had excellent TV ads. Um, he could focus his energy on his message. Miss um, Payne's message was a very traditional sort of uh, law and order. Uh, we follow the, the letter of the law in terms of how and what we prosecute. Uh, and to some degree, that philosophy may have lost steam on this circuit. So it will be very interesting to see. Hopefully sometime within the next 24 hours, we'll actually know who won that race. Uh, and we'll be able to, to really discuss what that means and what the implications are for our Augusta circuit. Also of note, if you look at Richmond County, uh, in comparison with the presidential race, uh, Jarrett Williams received almost as much support in Richmond County as Joe Biden did. Uh, Jarrett Williams got 66% of the vote in Richmond County. Joe Biden got 86-8% eight of the vote in Richmond County. Uh, we also uh, want to take a look briefly at this, although it's a national race, we want to touch upon it because um, I've noticed a trend here. I think Georgia is uh, changing a little bit. Uh, and that's something for us to, to note. Uh, when I went to bed last night, turned off the TV around eh, 2 a.m., uh, Georgia was still hanging out there. When I woke up this morning around 7 a.m., Georgia was still uncounted and was considered to be a factor in the presidential race. Um, you may recall, if you've been following the circumstances, that Georgia has not voted in favor of a Democratic presidential candidate since 1992. Bill Clinton was the last Democrat to win the state of Georgia. And of course, he was a Southern Democrat, which is why uh, he probably got the degree of support that he did. But in fact, the following election in 1996, he actually lost Georgia. So Georgia has been solidly Republican for a long time. Looks like there are some shifts taking place there uh, because oddly enough, Georgia is still in play. Uh, if uh, we get all those uh, ballots counted from the metro Atlanta area, I understand that there are some 
uh, uh, slow down with counting those votes from Fulton County. Uh, if those come in in a way that is favorable, uh, Joe Biden could actually take Georgia, which uh, seems to be an unpredictable uh, consequence. Uh, also, looking at uh, the Senate race, you know, we had uh, the Senate race with 20 uh, contestants in it in that to fill the special uh, the seat that was vacated by Mr. Isaacson. Uh, you may recall that the governor appointed Kelly Leffler uh, short term, but she had to immediately go back in and run. Uh, had 20 folks on the ballot and it is just a free for all. They're Democrats, they're Republicans, they're Libertarians. Uh, leading two vote getters are Leffler and Warnock. Warnock has almost 32% of the vote. Um, but the trick is we have to get back out and vote again. Um, the runoff date is January 5th, uh, which means that we won't know the composition of the Senate until after that date. But we have to vote again. Please, everybody, remember that you're not done for this election cycle. But uh, the fact that there is a Democrat uh, that has an opportunity to actually represent Georgia in the Senate at this point is pretty remarkable uh, because we have turned into such a red state or Republican state um, that that really is something that's pretty remarkable that he was able to make the runoff. At some point, people were speculating that the runoff for that seat could be between Leffler and Doug Collins. Um, the two of them were battling it out, uh, a lot of negative ads about each other and things like that. So um, we wound up with one Democrat versus one Republican as opposed to two Republicans at the at, uh, running for that seat. So uh, don't forget January 5th, get back out there. Please watch very, very carefully over the next uh, 24 hours to see uh, where Georgia goes in terms of presidential support. Um, because Georgia, uh, surprisingly, has turned into one of those uh, key states in deciding who will uh, be president of the United States. Uh, upcoming shows. Uh, next week, my guest will be former Mayor Bob Young. Uh, Bob is going to talk a little bit about what he's up to these days. He's uh, still involved in the political process and has a veteran cemetery project that he's working on. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're going to talk about what he thinks about local government these days after having been out for as long as he has. And we'll get his take on uh, this election. I'd just love to kind of hear his reflections on what he sees going on and uh, share that with you. Uh, the following week, our guest will be Burke County Sheriff Alfonso Williams. He will be my first returning guest, I believe. And that is because he has written another book. He has been such a prolific writer this year. Uh, we're going to talk to him about uh, his uh, reflections on uh, law enforcement and um, reflections on the elections. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, where we are in Georgia, where we are in Augusta. So uh, please uh, stay tuned, stay alert, stay tuned, stay woke, uh, as we like to say that so that uh, we can uh, be prepared for what is coming next on the election scene. 
As we consider topics for future shows, I would welcome your feedback. Uh, you all know that uh, from time to time I'll get a Facebook messenger message or an email message from someone suggesting that I have um, discuss a particular topic. Uh, if you are suggesting topics, oh, uh, you don't have to necessarily suggest a particular guest. You can, of course, uh, but I'd love to present you with what you'd like to uh, hear in terms of local politics, state politics, uh, policy issues, uh, the various things that are on your mind. Uh, I know uh, one group I'd like to definitely get in, uh, I've discussed with is uh, Walton Options and Services for Individuals with Disabilities. Uh, sometimes they are hidden. Uh, we don't see them. We don't don't hear enough and we kind of it's easy for us to ignore. Uh, but they definitely have uh, needs and therefore policy issues that need to be addressed in order to improve their quality of life. So uh, one other show that I'm working on getting in is uh, having somebody from Walton Options to talk about their services and uh, how we can help support uh, them in order to make this a better community for individuals with uh, disabilities. Uh, also, as always, uh, if you want to hear a past show, uh, please uh, go to my website or to my SoundCloud profile, soundcloud.com uh, slash local matters podcast. Uh, it is all there uh, for you. I close with my favorite Bible verse from 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This show is designed to contribute to each of those, giving you the power that comes with knowledge, demonstrating love for your local community, and offering you wisdom for decision-making so that you possess a sound mind when it comes to these topics. Please tune in next Wednesday at 1.30 p.m. here on WKZK, 1600 AM, 103.7 FM, and WKZK.net, because local matters.